Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to Think Humanities. It's one thing to depart from the top position at a small Southern college. Brian Lewis was president of Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Uproot family and household to become the new president at one of the oldest institutions of higher learning in the country, Transylvania University in Lexington. But to do it in the middle, not the beginning, the middle of a global pandemic might have you wondering, what was he thinking? Why don't we ask the 28th president of Transylvania University, Brian Lewis, that question. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Bill. Great to be with you. And let me just begin there. And if you could take us back uh, several months, uh, maybe uh, over a year when the search started and you became interested in uh, moving uh, household and family and wife and uh, all of that. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, you you didn't do it in March when everybody else made a transition or a change. You did it uh, in what? You finally arrived in July? Yeah, I arrived in Lexington in June and began my my duties in July. Uh, The short answer, of course, Bill, is that uh, none of that was on the radar when we made the plans to to make the shift. It was uh, in June of 19 that we decided that uh, it was time to wrap up our uh, our very enjoyable, very productive time at Catawba College and to begin the search for the next opportunity and uh, received uh, the offer from Transylvania in January. So at that stage, nothing was on anybody's radar about the kind of changes that we all uh, ended up uh, engaging in. But it actually turned out to be somewhat advantageous because having been involved with the transition to uh, having to pivot to remote instruction and all of that uh, at Catawba, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty uh, pretty aware of everything that was involved in that, and I also have to give great credit to my predecessor, Dr. John Williams, who was wonderful at keeping me plugged into what was happening at Transylvania and uh, why certain decisions were being made. So it made for a very smooth uh, transitional period, even in the midst of uh, of all this upheaval. Well, as a um, as a new president and uh, a, a new president in Kentucky. Uh, Give uh, our listeners uh, an idea about your background and your, uh, uh, m- some people might know or might be surprised to, to find that you're a Canadian, which is wonderful, uh, our, our good neighbor to the north. So just tell us about your, your, um, your growing up period, your education, and, and uh, what eventually, of course, led you to Lexington. I'll try to give you the TV guide version. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Toronto, Canada as the son of an English professor and uh, a lawyer, and uh, found my way to North Carolina uh, as an undergraduate, thanks to a wonderful scholarship opportunity at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, I studied political science there, uh, got very involved in student government, and uh, just became absolutely fascinated with how universities work. 
And I thought that that would be my long-term interest would be university administration, but I decided to uh, get a law degree and some professional practice under my belt. So uh, ended up going back to uh, hometown of Toronto to do law at University of Toronto. I had married my wonderful wife, Laura, at that point, and uh, we both decided that we wanted to come back to the Carolinas. So uh, we did that, uh, practiced law for a few years, and then looked for the right opportunity for us to move into higher ed administration. Uh, and I first started working at Winthrop University in South Carolina as executive assistant to the president. Uh, that evolved uh, over a span of a dozen years to serving as the uh, the founding dean of a un new unit there that we called University College, which kind of bridged academic and student affairs and how those uh, collaborate. Uh, also took on the role uh, for a few years of serving as the vice president for uh, development and alumni relations, uh, and then decided to uh, to seek a presidency. Now, interestingly enough, uh, this would be about 10 years ago now, uh, I was a candidate for the Transylvania presidency. Uh, it didn't work out at that point, obviously, but uh, I was just so intrigued with and impressed with Transylvania that it was, you know, a place that I, I kept in the back of my mind. So it was kind of an odd coincidence when a few months after we made the decision to wrap things up at Catawba, the announcement about the Transylvania opportunity came across my desk. And I remember Laura and I kind of looking at each other and saying, okay, is this fate? Is this faith? Call it what you will. Uh, or just pure coincidence, however you want to look at it. It was... Uh, it was very intriguing, and I'm so thrilled that it worked out this time. What um, impressed you or struck you about Transylvania the first time that you became interested in, in the position? Well, this will sound incredibly cheesy, but when uh, uh, we arrived in Lexington the night before my interview then and uh, you know, came over to the campus and walked around, and it just felt like home. Uh, I had grown up in uh, in downtown Toronto, uh, not too far from the campus of the University of Toronto, which I actually walked through on my way to high school every day. That's how close it was. And uh, just the notion of a, a vibrant uh, university community right in the middle of a downtown just felt very comfortable. Uh, and obviously, as I did the research about Transy, learning about its role as the first university uh, in Kentucky, uh, first university west of the Alleghenies and all the, the tremendous history of it. Um, you know, you see so many things that, that don't last and Transylvania has lasted. Uh, don't mean by that that it has been static by any means. It has obviously continued to be nimble enough to adapt to uh, a whole series of changes over nearly two and a half centuries. Uh, so you, know, you, you combine all those factors together, it's easy to see that Transylvania was a very compelling opportunity. We'll talk more about uh, Transy and your plans uh, uh, for Transylvania, but I want to ask you uh, if when you arrived, of course, you, you said you'd already begun to uh, practice uh, the, the, the COVID uh, transition uh, at Catawba. Um, but when you arrived, what what were the immediate challenges that you faced? Not only as a 
um, as the new president, uh, I'm sure there were uh, meetings with uh, faculty and, and the board of trustees and all of that. Those are normal things. But you had this uh, this behemoth in the room uh, that um, also uh, took took uh, uh, all of your attention. I'm, I'm, I'm not all of it, uh, not 100 percent, but I know you had numerous meetings um, uh, via Zoom. Uh, we'd, we'd made that transition, all that. So just give me a picture of uh, of the challenges that you faced as soon as you're you, you hit the campus. Uh, you're absolutely accurate, Bill. Uh, it, it was a matter of having those getting to know you uh, conversations virtually. I actually ended up hiring several vice presidents uh, who I never met uh, in person until they uh, uh, landed on the campus with me. Um, but thankfully, they've all turned out to be as terrific as they appeared to be via Zoom. So uh, we've got a really strong team. Uh, but you're right, a, a great deal of the attention over the summer was working with uh, a terrifically focused group of faculty, staff, and students, uh, what we were calling the, the reopening steering committee to look at, okay, what in every both large and small way, what do we need to be considering in terms of safety protocols, processes, et cetera, to even determine that we would feel safe reopening in any form. Uh, where we landed, and I think it has proved to be the right choice uh, for us, uh, has been uh, an approach of individual empowerment, but also individual responsibility. And by that, I mean that we empowered the faculty individually to make the choice as to whether they would offer their course uh, totally remotely or in a hybrid format. There's only a handful of courses that are being offered totally in person. We really needed to limit that because we also wanted to give that individual empowerment to each student and each family to make the decision that was right in their particular circumstances, uh, whether to come back to campus and have a residential experience or to learn entirely remotely from, from their home or, or off-campus location. So it turned out that about uh, half of our sections Core sections are entirely remote and the other half are a hybrid. Uh, and that basically means that even if the faculty are teaching in person, they're ensuring that it is being captured uh, synchronously or asynchronously or both for students to learn remotely. Not only to uh, you know, honor the choices that individual students were making about where they were taking their class from, but we anticipated that there would be situations where students would test positive or would have to quarantine because they'd been exposed and we didn't want them to be missing classes. So just all the logistics involved in making sure the technology was working, making sure uh, sanitation and protocols and signage and everything was in place, that, that really did, to, to, to your, your comment earlier, kind of consume uh, all the oxygen of the summer. But, you know, knock on wood, uh, it has worked, I think, extremely well, uh, and we're very fortunate. Are you pleased with the way the uh, your first semester, the fall semester, uh, went? Very pleased. I, I really can't say enough about uh, any constituency in our, in our campus community. The faculty have been tremendous. When you think back that, you know, before March, relatively few of them had any experience with delivering online education. So to get trained up, adjust, uh, convert their courses, 
plan their courses for this fall in a totally different way. Uh, they've done just a phenomenal job. Uh, same for staff, many of whom have been working remotely uh, to figure out new ways to make sure we're uh, addressing and serving student needs. Uh, they've gone uh, above and beyond the call. And I can't say enough about our students. Um, about 80% uh, of our residential capacity is where we, uh, we ended up uh, this fall. So about 20% elected to, to learn remotely. But the students who came to campus, I think, really understood and embraced uh, the, the protocols and really, uh, to, to a large extent, I think, sort of delivered a level of peer pressure to say to their fellow students, look, we really value being on campus. Please follow these protocols so that you don't mess it up for all of us. Uh, and uh, while we certainly have had our, uh, our cases of uh, uh, positive tests and, and quarantine, I'm pleased to say that we never got anywhere near the capacities that we had set aside in separate facilities for either isolating or quarantining. And uh, I, I think, again, that's a testament to the, the very cooperative, collaborative nature of the whole campus. Uh, two questions here. Um, uh, one, is there, do, do you expect to go into 2021 with the, the, the same module um, arrangement and uh, pretty much the same way you operated uh, in 2020 in the fall? And, and number two, can you just give us, after we've learned so much, all of us have, uh, about so many uh, facets of, of this uh, dreaded disease, um, how to operate, how to do business, how to conduct Kentucky Humanities, um, how to have remote uh, learning, uh, all, all of that. Could you just name one thing that you might do different or you might pivot from uh, and, and try in 21 that you think would be more effective? Sure. Yes, our, our, uh, our semester that will run from January through May uh, we anticipate it will look very much like the last few months, like the fall semester did. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the module system because that's that's another element uh, of our approach that I didn't touch on, uh, which is that in the fall, we uh, divided up uh, the main portion of the uh, semester, except for the, the first little piece, where, which is really a first-year orientation module. Uh, normally, a student at Transylvania would be taking four courses during the fall. We split it up into two modules where they would take two courses at a time. That was really in response to student feedback from the spring where they said, you know, adjusting to doing four online at a time is just really difficult. Uh, I won't say that the response to the module system has been uh, perfect. There have been students who've expressed, uh, I think, some very valid concerns, and we've given feedback to faculty on how to how to tweak that. Um, but there have been some advantages as well. Um, uh, one of the reasons that we moved to the module system was because if we were going to have to pivot again to an entirely remote platform, to be able to only have to change two courses at a time rather than four uh, was something that, that that seemed to augur well for everybody. Uh, a little silver lining that we didn't really anticipate is that by these classes meeting practically every day and the faculty seeing either virtually or in person, uh, seeing the students on a daily basis, 
they were able to pick up a little quicker if a student might be experiencing a higher level of stress or concern and either intervene personally or, or get uh, some appropriate mental health uh, support for the students. So I think that was valuable. Uh, but again, the students have given us some valuable feedback. So uh, there'll be a few tweaks uh, in, uh, in the winter term, but I think it will uh, by and large look like what fall of 2020 did. Our plan for the 2021-22 academic year will be to go back to the regular uh, non-module uh, system. And, uh, you know, a little early to tell whether it's going to look entirely normal or not. But I think even when we get back to entirely normal, whether it's next fall or 12 months from now, um, what I've heard from a number of faculty is that there are elements of the virtual platforms that they have found to be very helpful for their pedagogy and that they might still retain uh, as sort of enhancements for their classes. Not saying that everything would stay uh, remote, but they found tools and uh, mechanisms within these online platforms that have actually uh, been a pleasant surprise of ways to uh, just to deepen and enrich in the course experience. So uh, you, you look for the silver linings wherever you can find them. If I can add just a, a personal note, um, as you know, I was an adjunct professor in the fall and uh, I thought um, from the summer, um, and the faculty meetings that were held uh, via Zoom all the way through uh, the end of the module uh, in in the late fall, I, I thought it was wonderful. And it, uh, of course, uh, for many of us, uh, certainly um, uh, many uh, of us who are older, uh, we had never experienced that much before uh, in a teaching situation where where things were done remotely. I, I just was one who had not taught a remote class before. Um, I thought it, it was it, it ran so smoothly. Uh, hats off to um, uh, some uh, genius faculty who uh, showed me ways uh, of, of of teaching. Um, the the technical staff was brilliant, and to have them uh, go through those uh, sessions with faculty every uh, Tech Tuesdays uh, to demonstrate uh, how. Convenient, uh, and I'm not going to say easy, but um, how um, uh, convenient it was to to really be uh, bring your your teacher your your students in. I, I like the fact uh, that I could be with the students uh, four days a week. It was for me. It it was uh, because. Uh, my teaching at Transylvania before had had either been once or twice a week uh, because of the the different semester system, and I, I felt like I got to know them better. I, you will share this, I'm sure, and this is uh, this this is just um, the the way things go. It it broke my heart at times, and and I ached for those kids who were struggling with um, it, they were f for the most part first years. Uh, they either had tested positive or they were uh, didn't have the right Wi-Fi or they were trying to work at home with, gosh, I'm not going to call anybody out. But this one a young woman uh, who uh, was in Louisville the whole time who had a uh, ended up a terrific uh, module with me, but she had siblings who were also sharing the Wi-Fi in her home. She had to meet some of the classes on her phone because that's the only Wi-Fi she had. Her, her laptop was was being used by one of her, her younger siblings. I mean, 
that that really um it just it just made me uh feel like that um hopefully if if we continue in this uh the world that we're in today that that uh, some of those things can be can be worked on um so i, I just um I, I i congratulate you the faculty the tech staff uh uh the uh marketing and communication department and and the way uh, we got a lot of information about what was going to happen announcements that were occurring uh, all during it 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 really worked well so hats off to you well i i really can't take uh, much credit there bill it, as you say it's a uh, it really was a phenomenal team uh experience uh and you know as the saying goes i won't call what we went through fun, but I'm glad we've been going through it together. We're going to hear more from uh, President uh, Brian Lewis of Transylvania University and some plans that he has for Transylvania uh, post-COVID right after we hear from another great Kentucky institution, a a friend of ours and our underwriter for the Think Humanities podcast, Spalding University in Louisville. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spalding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email school of writing at spalding.edu. Mr. President, uh, what, um, what plans did you have uh, that you brought with you? And I guess you were thinking about COVID the entire time. You'd had some of that experience in North Carolina, but what plans uh, do you have for the future that, that for now, at least you've had to put on the back burner? Well, thankfully, we we really haven't had to put much on the back burner. Um, you know, we've also been using this time the last few months, as I had originally uh, anticipated and planned, to be engaging in uh, really the completion of a strategic planning process that uh, that started before I came. And so we were able to take the work that had been done and build on it, and I could bring some ideas to it to really position uh, Transy for. Uh, you know, for this next chapter, which, um, yeah, there were some things we looked at and said, okay, you know, in a post-COVID world, that might not be as pertinent. Or in a post-COVID world, here's a new idea that we might not have felt comfortable tackling a, a year ago, but now given our uh, our experience with technology, uh, we, we might feel much more optimistic about being able to accomplish. Uh, broadly speaking, I really wanted to engage the campus in a conversation about how we prepare our students for what uh, uh, author Daniel Pink has called the conceptual age. And I really like the way he framed it because he he spoke of how, you know, we've gone from the agricultural age to the industrial age. Now we're in the information age, but we're rapidly moving towards the conceptual age where students are particularly going to need to be equipped with uh, skills of creativity and critical thinking uh, and collaboration, uh, the things that can't be easily outsourced or automated or replaced with artificial intelligence. Uh, and I think uh, you know, clearly Transylvania has always been about that kind of preparation, uh, but helping uh, prospective students and their families understand that 
uh, sort of that combination of a classic traditional liberal arts education along with uh, the development of those kinds of aptitudes and understandings of being nimble uh, are really going to be critical because we see that it's not just about preparing these students for that first job or first career that they're going to have. We need to prepare them to, to be adaptable so that they're ready to adjust to that second or third career they're going to have 20 or 30 years from now that literally doesn't exist today. And I hear that all the time from employers. It's, it's kind of interesting. I find a, a bit of a disconnect between what um, politicians, broadly speaking, talk about and what employers talk about in terms of needs. Yes, there are needs for particular skills, but employers are often telling me, look, we need those critical thinking and strong communication skills. And whether somebody majors in history or art or chemistry is often pretty secondary uh, to us. We just need those strong foundational skills. You're singing our song in the humanities. Uh, we believe so much in, in many of the things that, well, all the things that, that you mentioned, and uh, certainly a strong liberal arts education um, is uh, at the foundation of, of all of those. Um, you, you've used some, uh, what I found to be some, some clever uh, phrasing of, uh, of what you'd like to see uh, in, in teaching, and I'm just going to read from uh, some material uh, that was developed, you're quoted as saying, a shift is needed from professors as, quote, sages on the stage, simply imparting what they know, to professors, guides on the side at a time when it becomes much more about information literacy. Uh, good use of those words, information literacy about how to access, analyze, and synthesize. Uh, elaborate on that a bit for us, if you will, please. Sure. I, I can't say that I originated the sage on the stage, guide on the side comparison. It's one I came across years ago. I wish I could give the proper attribution, but I don't, I don't know where that originated. But I do think it encapsulates a, a real shift. And, and I think it's something that's only going to be accelerated by what we've been talking about in terms of remote learning and, and online course structures, because so much more information is available than it was certainly when I was a student. You you relied on your professor to impart the knowledge. Well, now, you know, you can pull up on your phone and within a matter of seconds, just about any piece of human knowledge. Uh, in fact, I, I heard a presentation by a chief academic officer at a major research institution a few years ago, and he, he held up his cell phone and he said, you know, these things have more computing power than the module that uh, Armstrong and Aldrin landed on the moon with. And, uh, you know, like I said, you can pull up any piece of human knowledge within seconds. And he said, and what do we use them for? To share cute cat videos. And we all kind of chuckled <laughs> yeah. and said, yeah, get guilty as charged. We do. But uh, to have these kinds of devices in the hands of, of uh, pretty much every student does give us a remarkable opportunity to say, okay, to what degree is that imparting of the knowledge going to be really done independently? And that the class time and the work of the faculty member is going to be much more about synthesizing the different pieces of knowledge, helping students assess critically what is uh, 
what is fact, what is fiction, what is questionable, how do you question something that looks on its face to be um, plausible. Uh, I'm afraid in today's environment that has only gotten more and more complex uh, because it seems sometimes we have uh, different truths. Uh, And I'm not just talking about different beliefs, but literally people espousing different things as facts when they're demonstrably not so. Uh, So I I think we have to really make sure that our students have those critical capabilities uh, going forward. Uh, President Lewis, one of the things that uh, that you've mentioned as a priority, uh, and you've taken steps uh, uh, in the short time that you've been uh, at Transylvania, is to address uh, systemic racism in our community. And along with all of the other uh, challenges and difficulties that we faced in uh, 2020, we certainly, um, it seems like to me, uh, the, the, the kids began using uh, woke uh, as a uh, uh, as a noun and a verb, and 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 now it seems it's almost part of our lexicon that uh, that we've become woke uh, about this particular uh, challenge. Uh, how are you suggesting that uh, Transylvania and the the wider community uh, address systemic racism as we go forward? Yeah, it's it's obviously one of one of the great challenges of our time, Bill. And uh, I don't pretend to have any uh, magic elixirs for uh, for doing so. Um, but I've been very encouraged by the, the not just the willingness, the eagerness of the Transylvania community to engage thoughtfully and constructively in this kind of dialogue to look at our history to look at how that history is reflected on our campus, whether it's in uh, historical markers or artworks, uh, named spaces and buildings, and to really begin a conversation about in what ways it's appropriate to understand and recognize our history, but also to be distinctive on that and say, okay, and what things do we want to celebrate? Uh, I don't think anybody here is interested in sweeping history under the the carpet and pretending it didn't happen. Uh, But I think it's a matter of of finding that balance of saying, okay, what do we want to celebrate and what do we want to recognize and provide context for understanding why something is where it is or or how it came to be. Uh, I've also just been really encouraged by the, uh, uh, the conversations I've had with alumni. You know, one one of the questions I asked in those introductory conversations uh, that I was having uh, over the spring and early summer was, you know, if you could change one thing about Transylvania, what would it be? And if you could make sure that one thing about Transylvania never changed, what would it be? Uh, almost universally, the answer to the latter question is don't change the very personal nature of the campus and the community and the relationship with faculty and staff and coaches. That's, you know, that, that was universal, whether people graduated five years ago or 50 years ago. But I was struck in that same range of demographics and experiences, how many people unprompted raised uh, the importance of addressing issues of diversity and, uh, and racism. Uh, you know, these were white people in their 70s and uh, just the whole age and demographic range. And and this was even before 
uh, things really uh, sort of expanded this summer in terms of protests and activity. So uh, I, I think that bodes well for having these constructive conversations within the transit community, but also engaging with Lexington as our host community, uh, which I also think has done a, a very fine job of engaging people constructively and positively to, uh, you know, not relitigate old grievances, uh, however valid they may be, but simply to say, how do we address these going forward? What kind of place do we want to be? I've heard some conversation and, and read a, a few pieces about um, uh, how higher education uh, facilities uh, maneuvered through uh, this pandemic. And um, in, in your mind, did did all of, of higher education, uh, we're talking about the largest universities down to the smallest schools, did they miss an opportunity, take advantage of this opportunity, do the right thing with this pandemic? Uh, could it have been done better? Are you pretty comfortable with the way higher education met the call of this uh, horrible uh, disease that we, we've been dealing with and, and the way that you had to pivot almost overnight to, um, to stay safe yet continue uh, the learning that needs to be done? Uh, it's a very fair question, Bill, and I don't, I don't usually like to punt on questions, but I, I think it really is still a little too early to know. Um, I mean, clearly there have been major um, financial and structural impacts on a number of institutions. Uh, I've seen data that shows that about 10% of the workforce in higher education, faculty and staff across the country, uh, uh, has been uh, reduced. Uh, that's, that's a major impact in any industry and the ripple effects of that, uh, it's just too soon to tell. Uh, what that will mean or how how soon those institutions could bring people back. Uh, you know, we also saw a significant decline nationally in the percentage of high school graduates who were going directly on to higher education, about 22%. Now, how many of those are just saying, I'm going to take a gap year? How many of them are saying, I don't know that I can pursue higher education for financial or other reasons? That's a big question mark. Uh, Transylvania is, uh, I think, both good and fortunate in that we haven't had those kind of impacts. We have not had furloughs or layoffs. We have not seen a, a drop off. In fact, we had a slight increase in our, our overall enrollment this fall. Uh, our first year students were a handful down, but you know nowhere near the the twenty two percent that we're talking. And you've about. done some innovative things like uh, offer offer that gap year. Um, uh, just tell us briefly about that, and and uh, that's that's pretty unique, and that might have happened uh, around the country. I'm I'm not aware of it in in another Kentucky institution. I don't think. Uh, I'm not aware of another Kentucky institution that has done it. There are a handful of universities around the country who uh, who have done something similar. We're calling ours the Pioneer Plus. Uh, and what it basically offered to current students, but we're actually extending it to incoming first-year students in fall of 21, uh, is that you can basically get a fifth-year tuition free. Uh, if you chose to live on campus, there would be room and board cost, but I don't know too many fifth-year seniors who would probably still be uh, choosing to live on uh, on campus. Uh, 
But yeah, we really saw that as a way of recognizing, uh, certainly for our current students and, and for potential incoming students a year from now, you didn't really get the entire college experience that you were hoping for because you weren't able to fully play your sport or participate in a choir or theater production or whatever the experience might be. Uh, so uh, how many students will choose to take us up on that? Again, unknown. Uh, how many of them will say, okay, this gives me a chance to do a double major or another minor or simply take some courses that I thought would be interesting, but I didn't have room for before. Uh, so I hope some students will take advantage of it, but those who decide, no, I, I, I got what I needed and I'm, I'm ready to move on. Well, we'll cheer them on as well. President Lewis, any uh, last parting words um, as we enter 21 and um, uh, hopes and dreams and uh, aspirations that that uh, you'd like to fulfill uh, during this year? Uh, you have the final word. Oh, thank you. Uh, th- thank you for the invitation to be uh, part of this conversation. It's exciting for me to get to learn about uh, Kentucky and about uh Things like Kentucky Humanities and, and your statewide approach to, to, uh, to really strengthening the exposure to uh, really the entire population of you know, so many important elements of uh, being a, an educated and informed uh, community. Uh, personally, I'm looking forward to getting to explore Kentucky. I really haven't had a chance to do that. I think I've put three tanks of gas in the car since I got uh, here this summer. So just being able to get out and explore communities is, is something I'm looking forward to personally. Uh, looking forward to learning more about Lexington uh, and uh, really excited. I think Transylvania is going to be able to take uh, you know, some of the lessons that we've learned, some of the opportunities that we forged through the pandemic to really, uh, you know, our, our new uh, theme is to pursue bold paths. And I think that applies equally for not only the institution, but for students who choose to come here. We want to give them all the tools they need to pursue whatever bold path they choose uh, throughout their lives and careers. So uh, it's an exciting time to be here. President uh, Brian Lewis of Transylvania University, uh, again, uh, welcome to the community uh, after six, eight months, 10 months or so. But uh, it's almost like I think we're all looking forward to 2021 as a, as a new beginning, if you will. Let's, uh, let's pray uh, and be hopeful that uh, we will uh, have the vaccine uh, soon and we'll get back to some normalcy in, uh, in, a, in a few months. And uh, we appreciate the relationship that we have with Transylvania, and uh, thank you again. Uh, we'll we'll have to revisit uh, all of these topics again when uh, things are back to normal. Uh, as if that wasn't a, a trite to, to say, uh, uh, we're all hopeful that that's going to happen. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.